You're listening to the Grace Sermon Podcast with messages from Pastor Chris Twightman and the community at Grace Lutheran Church, Huntington Beach. We're a family church that exists to engage life together and impact our neighborhoods as disciples of Jesus. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us online at gracehb.org. Now, stay tuned for today's message. You may be seated. You may be seated, and as you're taking your seats... I want to invite you to open up the Bible that you brought with you or the Bible that's there in the pew. And if you're a guest with us today and you don't have a Bible, you have someone in your life who needs a Bible, take the Bible that's there in the pew as our gift to you today. Or if you're tech savvy and you want to use your phone or your tablet, there are the instructions to open the YouVersion Bible app. But open up to Micah chapter 2. Actually, go to chapter 3. We're looking at chapter 2 and 3 today, but we're going to be reading from chapter 3. And as you're getting there, Micah chapter 3 and justice for all. And justice for all, that is the last line, last four words, in fact, of what? Does anyone know? Pledge of Allegiance, Allegiance, that is correct. And justice for all, last four words of the Pledge of Allegiance to the United States, a declaration that most of us learn to memorize from repeating it every morning before the start of class in school. And justice for all. This phrase expresses the conviction each person is equal under the law that no one is to be deprived of life, liberty, or property without due process as indicated in our Bill of Rights. This concept of justice has its roots in the revelation of the Word of God that you're holding in your hands right now. From the beginning and throughout its pages and story, the pursuit, promotion, and achievement of justice is at the center of the revelation of the Bible. Today, as we re-enter the book of Micah, matters of justice are front and center. Micah, if you haven't been with us previously, is a small-town prophet. He was a small-town prophet sent by God to speak on his behalf to the big city. Two cities, actually. When the nation of Israel divided into two kingdoms, the north and the south, most of the biblical prophets after that time were sent to speak to one side or the other. Micah, however, addressed both capital cities, Samaria and Jerusalem, in the Lord's effort to offer his people a course correction in order to get them back on track to being aligned with his will and purpose for their lives. The last time we were in this book, two weeks ago, Micah began by calling out the idolatry of the people. But today, as we continue listening to Micah, it becomes clear the Lord had more to say to both of them. As we are about to hear, while idolatry was at the root of the problem, behind the lies of false worship, deep and more damning problems had developed in Samaria and Jerusalem, all related to justice. If you have Micah chapter 3, follow along as I read. Then I said, this is Micah, Listen, you leaders of Jacob, you rulers of Israel. Should you not embrace justice, you who hate good and love evil, who tear the skin from my people and the flesh from their bones, who eat my people's flesh, strip off their skin and break their bones in pieces, who chop them up like meat for the pan, like flesh for the pot, 
They will cry out to the Lord, but he will not answer them. At that time, he will hide his face from them because of the evil they have done. This is what the Lord says. As for the prophets who lead my people astray, they proclaim peace if they have something to eat, but prepare to wage war against anyone who refuses to feed them. Therefore, night will come over you without visions and darkness without divination. The sun will set for the prophets and the day will go dark for them. The seers will be ashamed and the diviners disgraced. They will all cover their faces because there is no answer from God. But as for me, I am filled with power, with the spirit of the Lord, and with justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression, to Israel his sin. Hear this, you leaders of Jacob, you rulers of Israel, who despise justice and distort all that is right, who build Zion with bloodshed and Jerusalem with wickedness. Her leaders judge for a bribe, her priests teach for a price, her prophets tell fortunes for money, yet they look for the Lord's support and say, is not the Lord among us? No disaster will come upon us. Therefore, because of you, Zion will be plowed like a field. Jerusalem will become a heap of rubble. The temple hill, a mound overgrown with thickets. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hard, harsh words. Today, we're going to cover three things. Three things. First, we're going to explore the face of injustice in Israel during Micah's day. We're going to unpack chapters two and three, specifically what we just read. Second, we're going to then step back and consider a biblical understanding of justice, what it is and why it matters And third, and finally, we will reflect on how all of this relates to our understanding and practice of living justly as followers of Jesus today. Those three things. The first, let's talk more about what Micah is calling out here, what God is calling out through Micah, the face of injustice in Israel. As I mentioned at the start, while Israel is the symptom of what's wrong in Samaria and Jerusalem, Micah makes it clear in chapters 2 and 3 Widespread injustice at all levels of society is the cause of the Lord's rebuke and judgment against both kingdoms. I don't know how much you picked up from what we read, but Micah documents a detailed list of injustices taking place. Specifically, the rich and powerful are destroying the homes and seizing the land of their fellow citizens, of those who are unable to defend their possessions. This wrongful dispossession of the land is being orchestrated under the banner of might makes right, even if it is wrong. While na- when neighbor turns against neighbor like this, just to give you a picture of what's going on in this community, when neighbor turns against neighbor, when the powerful take advantage of the weak, one ought to expect justice to at least prevail from behind the bench. But as Micah calls out, the judicial system of both nations is corrupted. No honest day in court is to be had for the victims of this oppression. No fair hearing can be found because those who are called to uphold justice have decided to collude with the criminals, with those who are feasting on the misfortune of others, evicting them from their homes and grabbing their land. Judges greedily accept bribes to look the other way. When the state fails... When the state fails, 
one might expect the voice of the church to speak up and speak out for those suddenly without rights and without a voice. After all, those who supposedly are devoted to the Lord ought to know above all that the Lord's initial setup for his people as first outlined through Moses and later established by Joshua was a nation of free landholders, not one of debt slaves, not one of sharecroppers, not one of hired workers. Each family was to have their own share of land as a means for their ability to build and sustain a life and pass it on to their children. To have their own share of land as a place of sustenance and Sabbath, rest. But as Micah declares, those who ought to know better, the priests and prophets of Samaria and Jerusalem, aren't speaking the Lord's truth to power. Instead of proclaiming and leading others toward what is right, in the midst of what is wrong. These prophets and priests are leading everyone astray with talk of, of, of false prosperity and abundance. Life is good, they say. Nothing is wrong. God is not displeased. If this is how things are, it must be the Lord's will. The Lord does not judge, worry not. The Lord does not judge. God is always forgiving. The Lord would never disgrace his own chosen people. Our God is infinite in his patience. Micah, however, counters such cheap grace, grace without expectations, sin without consequences, injustice without judgment. He declares in the name of the Lord, there is no free pass for violence, corruption, and cruelty. The Lord God will not be used for one's own glory and profit. One cannot claim God's favor and at the same time reject his lordship over their life. Injustice will not stand. There will be a reckoning, a redistribution of the land, a reorientation in terms of the law, a restoration of righteousness. There will be, Micah declares in the name of the Lord, justice for all. Part one. I've given you a real quick snapshot of what's taking place here, what Micah's calling out. And as you can clearly see, I hope now, Micah 2 and 3, the theme is justice. And in the midst of what Micah has called out, in the midst of what God says he is going to do, it begs the question, what is the biblical understanding of justice? And I want to underscore, I want to un highlight for you that word biblical. I want to do that for a moment because what you need to understand as we start to define justice is one's definition of what is just is defined by one's understanding of who's in charge. Who sets the standard? Who makes the rules? And to whom we are ultimately answerable and accountable with that in mind, from the Bible's point of view, a proper definition of justice starts with a right reading of reality. In other words, the revelation of the scriptures is the Lord is God. As creator, sustainer, redeemer, and arbiter of all life, God is the one who is in charge. 
God is the one who sets the standard. God is the one who makes the rules. God is the one to whom we are ultimately accountable, and therefore God defines what justice is. That's certainly the basis of Micah's claims here. We have to see that. So then, stepping back, biblically, what is justice? Biblically, justice is the world, creation, all life and humanity working the way God designed it and created it to be. Justice is the world, creation, all life and humanity working the way God designed it and created it to be. Our Heavenly Father created a world where all life is precious and to be cared for, where human life being created in the image of God is particularly sacred, and where we are intended to live in harmony and peace with one another and the rest of creation. And by harmony and peace, the Bible articulates that every human being is intended to have equal access to and use of all the basic necessities, the God-given sources of life. Air, water, food, means of healing and health, shelter. Justice, biblically, has to do with economics to begin with, tangible goods. But let's also be clear, biblically, justice also involves intangible resources. Biblically, justice means that every living being is created with and therefore is to be afforded dignity, respect, worth, love, and opportunity. Biblically, justice is about faithfulness to a relationship being true, if you will, to the other person. I'm going to say that one more time. Biblically, justice is about faithfulness to a relationship. It's about being true to the other person. If we apply this definition to God, justice is the Lord faithfully carrying out what he, through divine love, purposed and pledged to do for us. God is truth. Justice is God being true to his heart, character, and will. I want you to notice something very important here that I'm willing to bet most of you didn't pick up on. All of this that I just talked about, the basic necessities and dignities of human life, belong to each one of us, not because we earn or deserve them, but because God, being true to his heart, character, and will graciously gives them to us in bringing us to life. Each of us come into this world deserving, earning nothing. And the very things that we're just, we've just spoken of, the tangible and intangible resources, necessities of life, God gives to us because that's who God is. Biblically, Justice is about faithfulness to a relationship, being true to another person. Therefore, according to this definition that we're slowly developing, we are just when we engage and live in this world the way God created and intended for us to do so. We are living justly 
When we are faithful in our relationship with God in reflecting his image, the goodness and love that is God, truthfully, through how we live and treat each other. This means, if you're with me, perceiving and receiving each other as equals in the eyes of God. This means sharing and extending the access and use of all the basic necessities, privileges, and dignities of human life to everyone. Everyone. Now, I've given you a biblical definition of justice, but you know, as well as I do, that that's not the way it is. In our rebellion against, in our rejection of the way, truth, and life of the Lord, our sin has distorted our understanding and administration of justice. Ever since our break from God, ever since our divorce from living by grace, we have attempted to order our lives and our sense of community even differently than the Lord intended. Throughout the history of humanity, whenever one has found oneself placed in this world with whatever resources, opportunities, or privileges one has found or received, one perceives all of it to be for their disposal. Hear that one more time. Throughout the history of humanity, wherever one has found oneself in this world, when they come into this world, whatever resources, opportunities, or privileges one has found or received, one perceives all of it to be for his or her disposal. And this is true of both individuals and communities. Whatever we come to have access to or control of, we assume belongs to us rather than to all people. As time goes on, right, think about this. If you've grown up with it, if this is how it's been all your life, generation upon generation, it's always been so in your community. As time goes on, as we control what belongs to all long enough, we come to think of it as rightly ours and forget it belongs to it was given for the benefit of all persons. This is where we can understand how idolatry relates to injustice. I told you we started in Micah 1, and Micah talks about idolatry. But I want to connect the two. This is where we see how idolatry relates to injustice. Idolatry is false worship. We've unpacked this two weeks ago. And it's false worship because rather than looking or submitting to God... One bows down, one gives license to one's own desires, longings, and wants above and beyond one's needs. Idolatry is ultimately about worshiping oneself. Idolatry leads to injustice because such self-worship is always, no exceptions, at the expense of others. It is selfish rather than selfless. It is self-serving rather than serving others. It consumes rather than feeds. It hoards rather than shares. It demands life. It demands time, energy, resources, rather than giving and promoting life, offering more time, more energy, and resources. 
And when idolatry overtakes a community, the mindset of false worship, the worship over the self overtakes a community, injustice becomes the norm. Injustice becomes not just a matter of individual choices. Injustice becomes a product of systemic evil, political, judicial, corporate greed. And that is what is articulated in chapters 2 and 3. Notice in chapter 2, we didn't read it, verses 1 and 2, how the Lord through Micah describes the unjust as being so consumed with grabbing and taking from others, they can think of nothing else. They lay awake at night dreaming and scheming of how to get more and more and more. And in chapter 3, which we just read, notice in verses 1 through 3 how the Lord, through Micah, frames the injustice of the people as being like cannibalism. Did you hear that? The wealthy, in their desire for consumption, are consumers at the expense of the poor, the widow, and the orphan. It's as if they are eating their neighbors alive. And also... (laughs) Let's notice whom Micah addresses here. This is significant. Notice whom Micah addresses. And what you notice is that questions of justice are always raised to those with power. Questions of justice are always raised from below or from the outside. Notice that because those who are above others, those who are on the inside, never raise the question of justice Because they feel prosperous and secure. They are benefiting from the way things are. They pay no mind to the cost of their prosperity and security. They pay no mind to who ultimately bears the burden for it. Are we in the inside? Or are we on the outside? Are we speaking from above? Or are we speaking from below? You know, if you really stop and think about it, everything I've outlined here from Micah, if we really stop and think about it, even our human definition of justice is radically different from the biblical understanding of justice. I mean, think about this for a second. Our sense of justice flows from the conviction, gut check here, our sense of justice flows from the conviction, there's not enough to go around, so each person ought to take what they can get. Our sense of justice fundamentally operates from a belief that there's not enough to go around so every person ought to take what they can get. I mean, not steal, of course, but earn, produce, get, whatever you can get because there's not enough to go around. Our human sense of justice, think about what we say, how we think, is giving every man or person, woman, child, exactly what he or she earns or merits. That's justice, right? You get what you earn. You get what you work for, what you merit. That's what we call getting justice in our courts. Did you get what you deserved? Did you get what you merited? Did you get what you earned? That's justice in our communities, in our places of work, in our relationships. I'm being just if I give you what you deserve, what you've earned. For us, justice, think about this, is the opposite of mercy, right? I mean, let's be, I mean, let's be real here. For justice to be done, there can be no mercy. You get what you deserve. You reap what you sow. Fair is fair. That's justice for us, but not for God. Remember, 
Justice for the Lord is being true to what he intended for his creation. Justice for the Lord is being true to what he intended for his creation. Again and again, the Bible and prophets like Micah speak of God's bias towards the poor and the oppressed. This bias is born of the justice of the Lord. The right order of things, the way God intended them to be, is violated by the very existence of the poor, the needy, and particularly the oppressed. And so God's bias is not some parental favoritism or unfair partiality. The justice that flows from God's heart and character demands their deliverance. Setting things right means those who have suffered special deprivation must receive special attention. By way of analogy, a mother of a large family was once asked which of her children she loved the most. Which of your children do you love the most? And the mother replied, the one who is sick until he is well. The one who is away until he is home. The one who is disaffected until she is reconciled. This is how it is with God's justice. This unshakable commitment to reconciliation and restoration, to setting everything right, remarkably, thankfully, includes God being faithful to his purpose and commitment to us. Think about this. Despite our rebellion and rejection against him, our heavenly father relentlessly works to make us righteous and whole, not because we deserve it, not because we earn it, but because the Lord is just. Being true to himself, his intent and desire to see us flourish and prosper eternally, despite what we perceive, the limit of our human understanding, there is no dichotomy, there is no tension between God's justice and God's mercy. They are inseparably linked. God's justice is God's mercy. His justice is not punitive. It is restorative in the midst of our preponderance towards sin, our adultery with evil, our revelry in death. God judges, the Lord disciplines in order to set things right, liberating us in order to save us. The Lord's work of justice, this work of liberation, redemption, and salvation is the work of giving things back. We are slaves to sin. Justice is freedom from such slavery. We are held captive by evil, tempted, led astray by evil, or outright under attack from evil. The Lord redeems us from the power of evil with the greater power of good manifest in his unconditional love. And God loves us once again, not because of what we do, God loves us. We are loved. We are not loved if and only if we perform as expected. We are loved by God just because. Because God is love. Because God chooses to love us despite ourselves and despite how we treat each other, even him. We are subject to a life cut short, to death. Justice is the defeat of death and the return of the life we were made for eternal life. I've tried to articulate for you a biblical understanding of justice. 
There's so much more we could talk about, so much more I hope you're thinking about. But the point is we who are created in the image of God are intended to live justly. We are intended to engage and live together in this world the way God created and intended it to be. We are expected to reflect the truth, the love, and the goodness that is God in how we treat each other. And particularly for us as the church, for we who profess to walk by faith in the Lord's forgiveness and thereby to live out of the grace of God, we have been set apart as agents of his kingdom, as ambassadors for Christ, with great authority and power born of the Holy Spirit comes great expectations and responsibility. As followers of Jesus, beloved, we, you and I, me, us, we're called, we're commanded, we're empowered through how we speak, how we act, how we live to show the world the justice of God. But here we are. What does that mean? What does this look like? What does this mean? What does it look like? It begins by allowing our understanding of justice to, re be, to be redefined by the Lord's. It is allowing our understanding of justice to be redefined by God's. It is recognizing we live out of our poverty before God, not our self-sufficiency, not our entitlement. My friends, when we think we've earned or are owed what we have been given, justice becomes a bargain or a calculation with God. If you sit here today and you think your relationship with God, justice, is a matter of what you've earned or deserve, then justice for you in your relationship with God and others becomes a bargain or a calculation. It becomes this kind of thought and talk. What is the minimum I have to do? What is the minimum I have to give? What is the minimum I have to sacrifice in order to be perceived as in good standing with others and respectful towards God? If your definition of justice is not God's, you will bargain and you will calculate the minimum. On the other hand, when we view what we have been given, all that we possess as grace, like we talk about, but when we actually view it, receive it as grace, the gift of God, all from his hand, justice then becomes intuitive, instinctive. We share, we serve, we give without hesitation and without margin. Living justly starts with our definition of justice being redefined by God's. But living justly doesn't stop with a right understanding of right understanding or belief. Living justly requires action. Having our sense of justice redefined means we must look, we must listen, we must pay attention and notice injustice as we encounter or experience it. Living justly, in other words, is about speaking up, naming what is wrong and naming what is right. Living justly is about speaking out, giving and being a voice for those who have been silenced or those who cannot be heard. 
This is the biblical tradition. This is what we see modeled in Scripture. Moses in the court of Pharaoh. Nathan before the throne of David. Elijah thundering against Ahab and Jezebel. Jesus cleansing the temple. Speak up and speak out is the next step in living justly. Yesterday, yesterday lots of people were living out that biblical tradition as they marched in protest. It was interesting to me. I don't know about you, but half of my Facebook feed was populated by people who walked for National Right to Life Day, and half of my Facebook feed was populated by those who walked in defense of the dignity and rights of women. And I'm not trying to get political, I'm not looking for a debate, but I'll have one with you. But I support both. And I couldn't help in seeing that division on my Facebook feed but to think this. Biblical justice casts a vision of the world where women's rights and the rights of unborn children are the same, not mutually opposed. But the act of living justly, without any disrespect intended, is more than just protest. It is also the work of proclamation of declaring an alternate reality, a better one, centered in Christ, one led by the Holy Spirit. We can't knock the only game in town unless we can articulate, unless we can describe, unless we ourselves are occupying a better place to live called the kingdom of God. Living justly is not relying on the state alone as the solution. Any government, I don't care what government it is, any government always will be restricted by the rigidity of its bureaucracy and the limits of its politics. Managing the problem is not the same thing as addressing the problem. Living justly involves and requires the creativity of the individual and the communal imagination. Justice flows when people of faith, people like you and I, rely on and respond to the authority and power of the Holy Spirit in believing and working for miracles. Living justly, one more time is having a biblical, God-centric definition of justice. It's speaking up and speaking out for that definition of justice, and it's proclaiming and enacting the alternative, the better reality of the kingdom of God. This is a lot, and so what I want to do is I want to share with you a story I heard not long ago that has stayed with me since. For me, this story offers a complete picture of what we're talking about, how we as followers of Jesus are called to recognize injustice and how we are to respond to it by living justly. I'm gonna be using the PowerPoint, so just prepare, be prepared. This is a story from a man named Scott Harrison. If you've never heard of Scott Harrison, Scott Harrison for years made his living in New York City promoting top nightclubs and fashion events until the Lord, it's an amazing story, which is another story in and of itself, until the Lord led him to start an organization called Charity Water, a ministry dedicated to bringing clean and safe drinking water to people in developing countries. This is not a story about Scott. This is a story from Scott that I heard him tell. One day while he was in another village in Africa, Scott heard the story of a girl, a 13-year-old named Letikiras Hailu. 
I'm going to call her Letty from now on. Letty had lived her whole life in a rural village in Ethiopia called Mida. Slide. There it is. Right where the X is. That's where she was from. Every day since Letty was eight years old, every day since Letty was eight years old, four days a week, she'd get up early, grab her clay pot, tie it to her back with a rope, and spend the day walking and waiting and getting and walking back with water for her family. It was eight hours every day, round trip, to bring water to her family, water for them to cook with and water for them to drink. And the kicker is, each and every time, it was dirty water because that's all there was. I just want to stop in the midst of my story and just ask you, just because that right there when I heard this got me, what if you had to wait and walk to get water and it took you eight hours? How long have you been up this morning? We're not even there yet. Can you even imagine that reality? And, and I forgot to add, walk and wait for eight hours for dirty water. Anybody want a drink of this? I go on. One particular day, Letty did as she always had done, just like I told you. She got up early, tied that heavy clay pot to her back with a rope, walked and waited and walked back, round trip eight hours, to fill, to bring her filled pot with water for her family. But this day, as she finally made it back to her village, as she was nearing her house, Letty slipped and fell. Her clay pot broke, and all the water spilled onto the ground. And this 13-year-old girl didn't go back for more water. Let's be serious. She hung herself from a tree in her village. Now, when Scott tells this story, and I have to confess with much regret, when I heard it, he said the same thing I was thinking, that the first time he heard this story, he said, ah, oh, that's not true. After all the time he'd spent in Africa, after all the work he'd done for Charity Water, he was like, that's just a story they tell the Westerners, you know, to really get him going. But the thing is, the story stayed with him. He thought it was made up, but he, but he finally went to that village in Ethiopia to find out, and guess what? It wasn't made up. He found the village, and he went there and verified it for himself. Next slide. That's the tree she hung herself from. And you might ask yourself, okay, you can't go back for water, but you're going to hang yourself. Why would you do that? And, and Scott talked to the people in her village, and those who knew her well believed she must have been so overcome with shame. She knew her mother and her sister and her father were at home waiting for the water. She knew they needed water to cook their dinner. She knew they needed water to have something to drink. And now even the clay pot was destroyed, a valuable resource for the family. Next slide. That's a picture of what her pot looked like. So rather than continue home down the path empty-handed, 13-year-old Letty slipped the rope from her pot through the branches of a tree, then around her neck, and hung herself. 
This is a picture of injustice. 53% of disease on this planet, did you know this? 53% of disease on this planet is due to a lack of clean water and sanitation. But this water crisis in our present world isn't about statistics. It's about people. Next slide. Real people with faces and names and families. That's not Letty. That's her mom. This is about people being denied their basic rights that we can buy for $3 and then leave half finished at the, on the floor of our car. Facing injustice is about speaking up and speaking out. That is why Scott shared this story, and that is why I'm sharing it with you. But facing injustice is also not about remaining helpless, but living hopefully. It's imaginatively, as I said, proclaiming and tangibly enacting a better world, a more just world, through the inspiration, authority, and power of the Holy Spirit. This story continues. Scott had already started Charity Water and done many, many, much work there. But after this story about Letty, Scott's birthday was coming around. And I don't know if, like you, Scott basically was like, not just about not getting old, but basically said, I don't want to celebrate my birthday. I don't need anything. I'm just going to have people giving me stuff that I don't need. And so Scott decided to redeem his birthday. The club promoter who threw birthday parties through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit asked himself, what if I donated my birthday? So he asked all of his friends for his age in dollars. $32 to give to bring clean water to people who are stuck with this. He raised $59,000. Word got out on the Charity, Charity Water website and a seven-year-old kid Seven years old in Austin, read about it and donated his seventh birthday. No party, I don't want any gifts. He went door to door and knocked and raised $22,000. An 89-year-old woman did the same thing. She told people, I've lived double the life expectancy of most people in the world because of the privilege I was born into. And I'm not even gonna tell you how much money she raised. What I'm sharing with you today is but one example. I encourage you, Charity Water is a phenomenal organization. By all means, find out more about what they do. But that is, it's not just about this. I am sharing with you one example born of one creative idea that captured the hearts and minds of others and thereby not only reflected God's will for a more just world, but spread the experience of that kind of justice. And what I want to ask you this morning is, what's your idea? What's your idea? I look around this room and I say this with no hesitation, and I see amazing people from 7 to 89 and in between. People with power, people with influence, people with skills, people with access, and I'm asking you, I'm asking you in the name of the Lord, I'm asking you through the authority and power of the Spirit, what's your idea? What if you, what if we start dreaming and scheming about how to bless our neighbors? especially those neighbors around us locally and globally in need? Where is the Holy Spirit inspiring us and calling us together to reflect, to contribute, to create a divine ripple of justice in an unjust world? 
I don't know how many of you are on Facebook with us, but Drew is going to put up a post, and I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to invite you on that post in response to this sermon to share. Not to self-promote, but to share your idea. To share how the Lord is calling you to speak up, to speak out, and through what he has given you to live justly in an unjust world. My friends, hear me this morning. Living justly is not about occasional social indignation. Living justly is not about isolated acts of compassionate generosity. As much as those things are great, living justly is speaking up for how God created for how the Lord desires things to be. Living justly is speaking out and calling out for continued change, movement forward, not apathy or resignation. Movement forward towards the Lord's vision and promise for this world. Movement towards equity. Movement towards reconciliation. Movement towards balance. Movement towards shalom. By the grace of God, living justly is making the commitment to do what you can even when you feel like it's not a huge contribution. The Lord can and does use our small steps of obedience along with the small steps of others' obedience as part of his redemptive story of justice. And it has miraculous implications for the entire world. When we live justly, this is what we're giving the world to drink. When we don't, this is what we're giving the world to drink. My friends, my brothers and sisters, as we continue, every week we're blessed. As we continue to encounter and experience God's relentless love, may our worship that always begins with a song and a prayer lead us to bold action that reflects the new creation our Father is bringing among us a world in which there is indeed justice for all. Amen.